0: Hi, welcome to Chicana Code Switchers.
1: Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia.
0: We are both Chicanas in our master's program, who are also scholar practitioners in student affairs.
1: This podcast is intended to provide insights into higher education, with a focus on social justice and pláticas of student experiences. With that being said, let's start the show. Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of Chicana Code Switchers. I am your co-host Patricia, and Ariana, your
0: second co-host, you here.
1: Hello, and we all wanted to welcome um, another week, another recording. So, Ariana, could you tell us what are some of the new um, updates you have? Yeah. So for me, I,
0: um, I think I'm, I'm juggling a lot of things at this point. It's it was to be expected. Um, I'm happy to share, or hopefully soon we'll be sharing, like, soon we'll be finalizing my job search. I'm um, actually um, the finalist for a position, and they're looking at my references right now. And so that's a really good sign, according to people here at Harvard. Um, but I'm, I don't want to share too much because I don't want to jinx it. Um, I'm also... Uh, coordinating the final steps or stages for the an event uh, that we're calling American Democracy for the Office of Student Affairs. Uh, we're having Mariano Hosa, Edna Chavez, and Beth Fukumoto uh, at Harvard to talk about everything like democracy, everything politics, and everything like immigration and anything in between. I'm also gearing up to study for the GRE every day and um, my study buddy has set up a, a timeline for me if I wanna take the test on November 8th, which is when I have reserved the date. Um, basically from now t- until then, all my spare time will be that, which is gonna be fun. And then basically, I guess, What I'm saying is, like, it's important to tap into the resources and people that we have around us for support throughout this process because it can be a long, tiring process to get through. And so we definitely need um, people who know their stuff, if they can help us. Uh, to support us with like even just studying for the GRE or like reviewing our statements of purpose or like giving us um, ideas as to like how we can enhance our application process and everything else in between. So that's kind of a little bit of what I'm, I'm doing right now. But what about you?
1: So it's been a really long week, um, especially coming from that three day weekend um, and so, like, from the get-go, just, like, running and uh, it's really catching on And how busy it's been at work. Um, I started a new advising campaign with um, the new transfer students. And so, we've been getting really interesting cases with financial aid and just seeing how some community colleges have, like, misadvised a lot of our students and just, like, trying to catch those Mistakes happening and just informing the student on how, what can they do? I mean, I had one student who has been jumping around for like seven years with different community colleges. They, um, the university, the, the community colleges basically miss, um, de- like declared her as pre nursing, although they were actually biology major. And so catching that, and then when they transferred, some of those courses didn't match because even though they have, you know, a lot of these classes, they don't count towards Fresno State's version of those requirements. So it's just running around, but um, as I keep learning about like, what are some of those challenges that our transfer students make? um, the cool thing is one of those leverages that some of our transfer students can do is become ADT certified. And so that what that means is that the four-year universities, public ones, um, like Fresno State, have to actually uh, guarantee that that student's going to graduate for two years. So they need to course substitute, they need to move things around to make sure that all those barriers and those uh, graduation requirements can be fulfilled. and. The student can move on. Yes, yeah, si the estudiante like doesn't follow through that's another thing but other than that that's a really good tool for our transfer students to use. So some of the issues that um, transfer students have to deal with and also once they transfer over they may not have um, enough financial aid eligibility so it's also informing the student of their um, Options that they actually have because a lot of the times the financial aid office will let them know, like, oh, you don't qualify for anything, and that's not the absolute truth. And so, it's informing them of like spe- specific grants, um, specific uh, loans, it's very limited, but like that is an option, and then some scholarships that they can apply to. Um, It's unfortunate that that is mostly the case that we get, and we get them so late in the game. So um, some conversations and just like I had a really interesting case where a student actually took some classes, didn't actually receive Cal Grants, but received the BOG waiver, and then the university didn't market that they actually didn't receive or didn't utilize the Cal Grants. And so now it's stopping them from getting access to their Cal grants for the strange conversations like that. It took like two hours working with that student to like call different offices to make that happen. And um, hopefully, thankfully got the state university grant, but unfortunately it's the Cal grants just do so much better for, for actually them receiving everything that they could, like they get more money um, through that. And so And it also would help alleviate that grant and give it to someone else who will need it. So it's catching those. Um, Unfortunately, the financial aid office doesn't catch all of them. So it's good that we are the ones mitigating that. And then I also had, um, I just confirmed with some of the professors, a collaborative research project that I'm doing through the fellowship. So it's really exciting. Um, Hopefully writing a lit review piece and then submitting it for publication. And that would really help me with um, that writing sample for the PhD application. And, and then after um, this first weekend um, was, um, I had my class for my finance class. So I spent like almost 15 hours this weekend, Friday, and then um, Saturday all day, basically uh, for my finance and higher education class and we just mostly discussed a lot of like financial aid and finance issues in higher ed which is interesting because because i work with undocumented students i can tell you that there's like so many issues with financial aid in general and a lot of my classmates i mean we we had a discussion about like should higher education be public or private and how would that how would that look like and should the responsibility fall under federal government or statewide and i had to point out to the class and i was like because a lot of them were picking states. And then I'm like, well, for the most part, some states actually go out of their way to keep out students Mm -hmm. from accessing financial aid. And we also have to think about some of those um, individuals that have been uh, formally incarcerated and don't have access to financial aid. And like, there's a lot of things that um, institutionally are made to push out students. And so I'm like, it should be a public good. I don't know why we're still debating this, but you know, it's, it's, it comes to show how meritocracy and, you know, whiteness has been embedded so much that we think that that's the, that's the way that higher ed should be to keep them out. And I'm like, that's not how it actually plays out in practice. And then just in general, been super busy and and catching up and trying to I finalized the paperwork to make sure that we uh, found a MALX chapter. So, MALX is Mujeres Activas en Letras y Cambio Social for um, Fresno State. And then this week, I'll be going to my first Puente Mentor uh, Mixer. Um, So, I'm going to become a mentor for the Puente program at College of Sequoias Mm -hmm. and hopefully get to meet my mentee soon.
0: That's exciting.
1: Yeah, I know. It's a lot going on. And I realized like last week, like I got a little taste of what my supervisor has to deal with. And then my brain, like, se sentia que tenía como fogginess is happening because my brain was like over maxed out with so many things going on. So I'm like, today, that's why I took like a let's just, you know, recuperate, go to the gym, um, do something that doesn't require too much mental work. And then, recording Mm -hmm. for our podcast
0: (laughs) yeah i guess just something i'd like to share for people who may not know about um uh, policies and resources for undocumented students across the u.s is um you and it basically gives you an overview of every state about whether or not they're inclusive exclusive and if you click on each state it gives them it gives people the breakdown of like the different policies that have passed to allow undocumented students to receive financial aid or not, you know, not be eligible depending on the state. So that's like something that I
1: was reminded of as you were talking about financial aid opportunities or lack of, yeah. And that's a very important tool like um, to point out is like every state has their own, you know, set of, you know, helps, resources, centers, and it's not, it's not the same like even in California like in the Central Valley like you're not going to get the same amount of information or help there's I mean depending on how many nonprofits, how much help is out there um, and then just information in general it's unfortunate that um, like all of this keeps changing and then also like new things are happening so making sure that to keep up with all the new policies I mean there's like a new policy right now where uh, in California now undocumented students number to work at community colleges for internships and apprenticeships so that um, legislation just passed last weekend last week August 30th I believe and um, the proposition is um, prop 595 so for anyone who needs to look that up that's brand new and um, that's why I'm like constantly changing like with or without data you know like that's a, that's a very important for you know, individuals to not feel like the, like the reality that's gonna be like this all the time um, laws and things can change. Yeah exactly.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, so now we'll be introducing our, guest for this uh, week's episode. Um, Her name is Magali Limeta. Her pronouns are she, her, hers. And a little bit about Magali is that she is a first-generation Mexican-American raised in Novato, California. After graduating from high school, she attended Santa Rosa Junior College and transferred to the University of California, Los Angeles, where she studied anthropology. Magali is a patient access supervisor at Marin Health Medical Center. She is the past president of the Marin County Young Democrats, currently an AD 10 Delegate to the California Democratic Party and a member of the Democratic Central Committee of Marin. She's also a member of the Santa Rafael Evening Rotary Club. And last spring, she completed a fellowship with the Frontline Leaders Academy which is an organization that provides values-based trainings and leadership development to individuals seeking positive social change in their communities with limited access to traditional political institutions. Magali is passionate about traveling, politics
2: and education. So Hello everyone. Ariana, thank you so much for having me. Patricia, thank you. Yeah. Thank
1: you. you. So um, could you tell us how did you meet uh, Magali? Um, I, I
0: met Magali back in 20, 2007, right? Magali, do you yeah. want to tell
2: us? Yes, yes. Um, So Ariana and I met in English class. It was our first semester at Santa Rosa Junior College. We had just graduated from high school. And uh, I had signed up for this English 1A. And the topic wasn't interesting. It was like some mystical writing and dark mysteries. But anyways, I had to sign up for the class because I needed it in order to transfer. And when I walked in, uh, Ariana was the only Latina. (laughs) So. I was like, I'm going to sit next to her. You know, I sit I on my people. Uh, and so, no, I sat next to her and we started having a conversation. I uh, learned that she was from Point Reyes and we connected on being first generation, first first generation college students. And I think ever since then, we've been friends. And it's been nice to see Ariana's journey and see how our friendship has grown these last couple of years. So I'm really lucky to have her in my life oh thank you
0: <laughs> that was really well said um but yes yeah, so we've known each other for over 10 years now and so um it's been really uh, a really cool friendship where we challenge each other and like encourage each other and have you know there's like so many things that we've been a part of because of our friendship so yeah um uh, So I guess the next question would be um, about your educational journey and did you always know that you wanted to work in healthcare and um, how do you leverage your anthropology degree in this field?
2: Um, Yes, Ariana. So I did not know I was going to end up in healthcare. actually. I always tell people that uh, I didn't choose the field. The field chose me. Um, And growing up, uh, going through high school and through college, I thought I was going to go to law school, right? I wanted to be an immigration lawyer and just wanted to tackle immigrant issues and represent people. But um, I moved back home and I had an old boss that was working for Marin. In, um the hospital. And so, you know, like they say, I called her up. I needed a job. I didn't know what to do. And she was basically like, come get an inter have an interview with me. So I walked in, I interviewed and I got the job as a patient access representative. And once I started getting learning more about healthcare, I started getting more interested, right? A lot of people don't have access to insurance. At the time Obama was promoting his Affordable Care Act. And so I thought it was a very interesting time to be in healthcare. And the more I learned about it, the, learn, the more I learn about it, the complexities and the access around issue, I'm more fascinated. Um, so in anthropology, you know, they teach you how to be an observer, how to communicate and how to tackle like issues or fix problems. And so I've been able to use that in my current job. Right. When I have a problem in the emergency room. OK, well, what happened? How can I fix it? Uh, what kind of analysis? that i can do but it also teaches you how to be uh how to be aware of other people's culture uh how to be aware of what you do might not be right and it might be different for other people so being a little bit being being able to understand people's background makes you better a better leader and basically helps you understand the patient and the needs of a patient whom are not who might not share the same background as you
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so for
1: those of us who may not know, um, what is Rotary International and what is their motto and why is it important to give back to your community?
2: Um, so Rotary is a global network of volunteer leaders who dedicate their time and talent to tackle the most most pressing humanitarian challenges and Rotary connects 1.2 million members from more than 200 countries and geographic areas. I am part of the Sierra Fel evening club and we're a group of about 40 members who do a lot of community service, do fundraising and we give uh, back to the community in different ways. We partner with different organizations. Um, One of the organizations that we partner up with is uh, Extra Food and Every other Sunday throughout, you know, the year, we go to the farmer's market, we collect food, and we basically donate and distribute that. Food to different nonprofit organizations in Marin County that are serving low income, the most vulnerable people, like uh, homeless people. So that's one thing that we do. Uh, usually around the holidays, we adopt a family. So we, what that means is, you know, obviously during the holidays, we adopt a family and we basically buy, they have a wish list and we buy things that they are not able to afford. So, you know, everyone contributes money. Or they buy gifts, or whatever that family is requesting. Um, we also, you know, um, three or four times a year, we pack uh, packages for our soldiers um, over uh, serving overseas. Mm. Um, and why do
0: you think it's important to give back to your community?
2: Uh, because some people don't have access to resources, right? And they lack resources. So when you're in a position that you're able to give, why not, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't know the difference that you're making in someone's life, right? What might be $100 for us? What, for us, $100 may, may not be a lot. But even $20 might be a lot for a family not being able to buy food, right? <laughs> or And so it's just really nice to give back to the community in that way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and their model i don't remember but. uh service above self there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and so i do know that you love to travel internationally do, would you like to share with us what you uh did this past summer um can you tell us more about that experience
2: Yeah, Ariana. So I decided to go on a journey. Um, I turned 30 uh, a couple weeks ago. And for my 30th birthday, I wanted to go on a pilgrimage. Uh, It's kind of a a journey of self-discovery of where I'm at in life and just kind of evaluating uh, what I'm doing next, right? And I decided to do El Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage in Spain. I walked uh, 14 or 15 miles a day for 11 days. And our final destination was uh, Santiago Compostela, And it was beautiful because I was in nature Uh, I learned a lot of things about myself, um, that I, didn't think that I was capable of for example the physical challenges right I went through the elements of rain uh, hot weather and just everything I, and I suffered an injury halfway through my through the hike and it was kind of a of a, it's like what do I want to do do I want to go back to Madrid because I wasn't sure if it was broken but I decided that no I was able to walk yeah it was a little bit painful but I said no I can't give up I have to do this I have to finish. Uh, So I did. And it was wonderful. (laughs) It was it was just beautiful. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. And then how did you get involved with the Marin uh, County Young Dems? And then why did you why do you believe your involvement is important? And why should more young people get involved?
2: Um, I got involved with the Marin County Young Dems uh, when I moved back to, uh, to Marin in 2012 and I've always been passionate about community uh, I've always been passionate about politics because I feel that we need to be advocating on our issues that are important to us and one issue that is really important to me in Marin County is affordable housing so when every every time we would talk to politicians we would say how affordable housing is super important in Marin County because they're not The only thing you can do is advocate, right? You don't know if they're going to actually go back there and pass policy. So I think in that sense, uh, that's why i involved to bring awareness to other people, to leaders who are making decisions that are impacting our lives every day. People should be involved because not everyone's going to, make your issues a priority so you have to make them a priority Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by margaret mead Um, she said never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has and something that really resonates with me it's like the dreamers right politicians didn't say let's pass the dream act it was the dreamers who were advocating in dc in their communities protesting meeting with representatives peer pressuring them for it to happen and and the fight is still not over right people every day are advocating on their issues Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and then um
0: also i guess to add to that would be that i got involved for a short period of time with the Murray county young dams even though i can't vote but i wanted to learn about how the political system worked and Magali was the reason that I joined because you know she invited me to a meeting and then I met some really cool people I'm
2: still in touch with today. Um, I went to the what it was about democratic convention. That co- yeah yeah <laughs> And you were very impressive, actually. Uh, I like I asked Ariana like on a Tuesday, "Hey, do you think you can come to this um, Marin County Young D- Dems meeting on Wednesday?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure." I was I wasn't able to attend for whatever reason. And then next thing you know, I talked to Ariana. She's like, "I'm attending the California Democratic Convention, which was that weekend." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" So that that shows to that tells that tells you a lot about Ariana how she's so devoted. And dedicated, and is not scared. Right? She was like, "Okay, let me learn, and mm-hmm. let me see how I can utilize this in the future."
0: Mm-hmm. And I met a lot of politicians there. I met our at that time our future governor, and I had no idea who he was. I just knew everyone was taking pictures <laughs> of him, and I'm like, "Okay, I'll take a picture too." Um, yeah,
1: and we we mentioned about involvement. So, like, how would you? If some someone wanted to get involved, like how do they get involved in something like Marin County Young Dems?
2: Okay, yeah. So look up your local, uh, your local chapter, right, and start figuring out when they meet, right. Uh, look at your Democratic Central Committee. You know, these places, these spaces need to be diverse. When I started getting involved with the, Marin, with the Democratic Central Committee, it was me, the only brown person in the room, and another F- Filipina who happens to be my sister in this in, in the struggle, uh, Maureen Denieva. Um, but yeah, these places, I actually, thank you for asking that. I encourage people to get involved because not, our issues are important, like healthcare, immigration, and education right um so look up you know the local community like the local chapter and if there's no if there's no chapter in your community start one right uh i you know if there's any people that are interested i will be more than happy to share my information with you guys but start a chapter right and when i was involved with the marin county young dems we brought different people uh, like the Board of Supervisors to our meetings to talk about what they were doing in their office. Um, Some of them offered internships, so that's also another great way to get involved and learn what other people are doing in the community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. Um, And then given all of your
0: involvement, um, what are you looking into pursuing now? I hear an MBA is in the works, and how did this (laughs) come about?
2: Uh, yeah. So, um, I was, uh, figuring out law school, right. And I was talking to different leaders in, in the hospital setting, asking them, how did you become CEO? How did you become BP? And they all were saying, oh, like an MBA, like I got an MBA, it teaches you different skills, different, pro- how to solve different problems. And I was like, oh, I want to go to law school. How is this going to help me? And they're like, uh, we don't think a law school a degree is going to help you. Um, so that's when they started really talking to me about an MBA. And the more that I researched uh, an MBA, I was like, okay, this is right for me because I don't, I don't have the hard skills like finance, you know, understanding the financial impact of an institution. Um, I don't have Uh, the strategy, right? So I want to learn and and, an MBA provides all of that. uh, So that's why I decided to pursue that. Um, And uh, currently, I'm studying for the GRE, you know, you can either take the GMAT or GRE. And so I've been uh, I've been on this journey for quite some time. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to get a, a score that's near the average. And, you know, I've been trying to, trying to get that out of the way. Um, and as soon as I get that out of the way, I start working in apps and I hope to submit by the end of this year. Um, but there's different tools that I've utilized that I didn't know about before. Um, and that's like Magush. you know, for those who are interested in, the, in taking the GRE or the GMAT. Uh, Magooch is a good good uh, application to use to understand math you know I'm not strong in math um, but, you know, it's a struggle, Ariana, and you, Ariana, you understand this, you know, trying to, the, these, these, uh, these tests weren't made for us. So we have to work three times harder to be a good student and being proactive and utilizing the resources that are out there. And Ariana, you, you're going through your own journey with graduate school. Yeah, so
0: for me, my strategy this time around is to have an actual tutor. Um, one of my friends actually um, did this for a living at some point. He tutored um, through the Kaplan program and so um, he's been able to provide me with the strategies to do the math portion. I'm also not strong in this area so that's an area that I'm really focusing on and we spend about three hours uh, once a week um, studying, covering concepts, reviewing, getting feedback, uh, learning like the shortcuts, because the the whole GRE test is about doing uh, getting as many of the problems correct in a short amount of time. And so um, we're doing that. And so basically I just registered for the GRE. I'm taking it on November 8th, I forget. Um, and so we created a timeline. Okay, we need to meet three times a week in order to be able to cover all of the concepts concepts that will most likely appear on the GRE test for the math portion. So that means that in between each day, I'm going to be do- studying on my own, uh, doing some problem sets that he then will review and give me feedback as to like what I could have done, what I could have, what I did great and what I need to work on and get more practice. So definitely if you have um, someone that can support you with this area, it's a lot about uh, revisiting old concepts, math concepts from geometry to algebra, high school, mostly high school stuff that you don't always remember. Um, but having someone who is strong in math definitely helps uh, because then you can not only have like someone to bounce off um, information or like ask questions, but they also they can also serve as your account- accountability buddy. So they keep me on uh, che- check because I feel like I need to have my... Portion of the, of the work done so that that person can then help me. So it's like, it's definitely helpful to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, what are you doing, like with regards to studying, like, how are you going through this process besides using the app?
2: Um, so I bought the Manhattan GRE books, which is a set of eight. And what I'm doing every night for two hours is going through each section of a topic and then doing the problems on, you know, the, the problems in the back of the book. And when I don't understand a concept, I use my So that's another layer of help that I'm getting to understand the concepts. (laughs) It's pretty hard stuff, but but you got to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
1: in some parts, you know, it's also the writing portion and the GRE. It's like making sure that you know how to write a really good essay in a short period of time. And so, like, every section within every standardized test has like their own different set of skills that you need to put in there. And so, it's, I mean, if anyone is doing any standardized test, you know, it's part of it is just how we're all mentioning, acknowledge that that test is, you know, a different setting it is a test if you have test anxiety you know just like learn how ways to like just just go past that freaking out phase (laughs) and then having a a good you know mental like space and just like being open to just like you know what this test sucks but how can i prepare myself the most for every section and to be calm throughout the whole way like not freak out because i think like the the panic doesn't help and um, the whole point is just try to do as best as you can. But also, um, I tell students that the standardized test is just one component out of the whole application process. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, for me, I hate standardized testing. Um, you can also utilize as a form of resistance and be like, nah, you know, like I, I took it, but I didn't do well. And I'm going to write about it in, my, in a statement a purpose of I'm such a good educator that I bombed purposely this test because I, I resist and refuse to, you know, buy in so much of the time because it is a privilege to sit down and like try to do well, and it is a privilege to retake it because usually by the first time you kind of get a sense of like what the format is looks like. Just like checking in, you know, getting used to the the space that you're going to take the test in. It looks very different in each testing center, um, but in general, like. Personally, for me, I'm gonna just write that and be like, I, I'm such a good educator to the point that I don't believe in this test, and here's these other things that I've done during my time to um, be a, be really good in the field. You know, knowing that the standardized test doesn't is not a signifier, it's not an indicator of you becoming a really good whatever field you're going into. Um, I mean, it might be helpful if you're in STEM to do really well in the math portion. But other than that, like it's, you can always find a different place within the application process that will make you a really strong candidate. And so, I mean, it is one thing, but make sure that all grad students or potential grad students don't just focus on the GRE or the standardized test. Like you have other things that you also need to make sure that you do well in, especially if you're still in school, that GPA also, needs to be really good um, your involvement needs to be there some sort of involvement whatever that looks like for you if it's you know in ways to help prove that you are prepared for that field that you're going into and that you're you did your research you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah I I want to say like for me from the first time I guess the first time I took it two years ago it was a the hardest part for me was sitting down and working on it because it's so dull so boring I don't like I have so many other things I would happily do Um, but finally getting into the rhythm of like setting a um, setting it into your schedule that this is the amount of time you're spending on it and then giving yourself breaks in between or giving yourself a a small reward like helps with the whole process of like getting through the book like everything about the GRE about all these standardized tests they make them very intimidating purposely even when you go to the test center, sitting there for four hours, um, the fact that they need to check your ID, the fact that you can only bring a pencil and, and you know, not your phone and like they make it so, like so rigid that like you're already in like, you know, maybe um, you're already having like a lot of uh, you're probably very tense or something. Um, but it's all done on purpose because, you know, that's their way of making money. <laughs>
2: But, but, but yeah, yeah uh, Patrice, I do also want to acknowledge uh, what you said earlier about privilege. Right? Mm-hmm. It costs two hundred and fifty dollars to take the test. Not all. That's a lot of money for someone that's working two jobs and yep. also supporting their family. Right? And what if you don't have time? to study for the test because you're busy helping your family supporting them Mm -hmm. what if you're the primary caregiver for a parent or a child right so we also have to take those in consideration and that's why our stories are so powerful and important because we are worth it we Mm -hmm. do need to be at the table right we we do need to we need different leaders in different organizations or we need a different perspective right
1: yeah and it's also thinking like um the, the fact that all of these things I mean the the standardized test is one of the, the intimidating factors of grad school um, there's like other things that make you feel it's so uh, inaccessible in the language and the format it's very intimidating it makes you feel like you're not you, whatever you bring to the table isn't acknowledged and to some point it may be true to different programs um, there are some that are like we don't want that kind of you know cultural capital or anything like that but it's like you have to put yourself in your mind like I deserve to be there but also I bring so much greatness that it's not me needing you it's you needing me you know and and putting (laughs) that power into yourself and thinking that yes this part isn't I have to have this discussion with students I'm like I gotta be honest with you grad school is not the catch-all it's not the everything it doesn't mm-hmm. it's not everything and it won't do everything for you there's continuous barriers from the application cycle to the just knowing how to apply to graduate school to being in graduate school to finishing graduate school like all these different things that are barriers but um it's first you know half the battle is the mindset mm-hmm. you know like shit it's gonna be rough it's gonna look like differently for every person like I would listen to a lot of previous grad students or you know grads um, and they would mention their own horror stories and I was like oh shit like that's scary you know like but also I had to remember I mean that's what they experienced Mm -hmm. at that time with their own whatever however they reacted um it might be different let's just it might just look different for me. My own barriers and my own challenges are going to be different because I see the world differently and my needs are different from that person. Mm -hmm. So don't, you know, take every single advice that people give you with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. because that just might not be your case. And also you may experience something completely different that we've never talked about. Um, And so it's just really, um, just being resilient and knowing that If that's the hole that you're in, uh, trust that you're going to learn how to get out of it and also communicate with others, like what is something that you, you need help in? You know, and that help could just be like, I sometimes, I'm like, if someone could just cook me some dinner, you know, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> help me with that one meal so I don't have to forget about it, like simple survival things or to the point, like, and that's what my mom used to do for me, like, an undergrad, like, she was like, aquí está tu lanche, mija, like, here you go. That was a huge help, um, but it could also mean some other things like information that's important and key, and, and if anything, use that statement of purpose to really include those challenges and barriers that you do have and that you acknowledge, but make sure to include after that. But this is why I bring all these different perspectives and, you know, expertise in the way that this field needs to do well in for my community or communities that I come from.
0: Mm-hmm. And and given my history of higher education, all of these things about the grad, uh, the graduate school application process were built upon each other to keep to exclude pe- certain people out of the system so like as you know from the ni- early 1900s to now they're used to not this used to not, not be part of the process but because they wanted to exclude like foreigners from doing well especially like those from Europe who actually learned actually knew the language so that was not a barrier for them um unlike other groups of people who English they had to learn Uh, as their second language so then they kept adding all these components to exclude certain groups of people from getting into higher ed so this whole like process was made so that a lot of people would be a lot of um people would be excluded and so it's not exactly representative it's not exactly what how it should
1: be but that's how it is so let's like tackle it right yeah and Um, and so like all these barriers are fabricated
0: mm -hmm.
1: you know like they as as easily as they have been created they can also be eliminated yeah um it just takes a certain amount of educators leaders um groups of people coming together to be like you know yavasta. Yeah this isn't this isn't pertinent to the field in the first place you're not going to spend most of your program talking about that standardized test that you took to get in you know like <laughs> exactly think about it in that way you know like um that's what helped me like go through that process and just be like, wow, like, um, I mean, that happened. But um, there's other things for me to also like keep in mind and make sure that I write about it in that statement of purpose, a sentence or two should be sufficient should be the whole thing. But it's something that um, bring back your power and write in a very like, I know my power, kind of statement of purpose, well, you drop that mic at the end, and you're like, and that's why you should have sent me. <laughs> 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 and also, um, Magali,
2: I'm not sure if you want to share, but you already took the test before. Yeah, I took the test and I scored uh, pretty badly um but you know here i am ariana you can't give up on your hopes and dreams especially when you want to help your community you know when i look at the nba uh numbers of how many latinos are in it it's very low right when you go to these diversity events uh sometimes it's just me and leti right in the room um and you're like wait where where are our people right and then that translates to the boardrooms, yeah. you know, how many Latinas, I mean, women in general are, it make up a small percentage of leadership, break it down to Latinas. It's even smaller, right? Mm-hmm. So in parts of it, is I'm doing this because, yeah, I want to give back to my communities. Like I want to see more Latinas be in, in leadership roles, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we know how to lead and it's, we're good at it and we want our diverse perspective shared with other people. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly. Um, So I guess that follows into the next question about what does it mean for you as a first-generation Latina? Um, What does your education mean for your family?
2: Um, How does that relate? So, uh, my mama has a sixth-grade education my dad has a seventh grade education. So growing up, they instilled the importance of obtaining a college degree. They saw that as an opportunity for upward mobility in their eyes, right? Uh, they still thought that education was part of the American dream. And it, within one generation, Bucky and Ariana, it has changed, right? Mm-hmm. Because I have this knowledge that they don't have, right? So for example, um, two years ago, my dad suffered a heart attack. He didn't know what to do, how to maneuver the healthcare system, but because he had me, I was able to read the documents in English and be, be, be able to translate that to them, right? Or my mother you know, had an issue a few months ago and it's like, así lo vamos a hacer, because I know so-and-so, right? So you have access to knowledge that your parents might not have. Yes, my parents work really hard. Yes, they taught me that that is important, but also that access to knowledge. And and I think that's super important because one piece of information can change your destination, right? Um, And Ariana, you know this, right? You've you've been able to connect with so many people and they've been able uh, to give you la mano and yeah education is so powerful and knowledge is so powerful mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah
2: and then, Go ahead. and then also like the fact that
1: not only do you know how to read those documents because I mean in general like it, it it's not only in English but it's like also like there's the, there's this really uh, complicated terms that you, you know not the average person may know unless they you know dedicate their field and their expertise in, in the healthcare system. But it's amazing that we also can pull from our own connections outside of whatever we work in to ask like, well, I don't know, do you have the, could you like take the time to inform me of what that looks like? Um, Because that's another thing that my parents and my family don't have, you know, like we are the very few individuals in our families, get and that we get told, I'm like, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but, here, you know, here's what I, I believe it's talking to you about or telling you, and it's and it's all around those
2: documents mm-hmm.
1: that are pretty inaccessible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not and not only that, but I see my nephews, right? Um, they're in elementary school and middle school, and I start talking to them about college. And I talk to my um, their parents. I'm like, do you know that they're supposed do you know about the AG requirements? Right. And they're like, Yes, eso. And I'm like, oh, you need to make sure that you have the AG requirements because, you know, that's one of the things that they use to admit you to UC or CSUs, right? And I didn't know that, right? I didn't know that throughout high school, and that's how I ended up at the JC. And I would never change that experience, but my parents didn't know, so I had to figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I try to share that knowledge and information with others, you know, que no saben.
0: Mm -hmm. Which reminds me, you
2: also mentor...
0: You're also a mentor to young Latinas.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's 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 important to me um, because a lot of growing up, a lot of people gave to me. I relied a lot on my teachers, on my counselors to figure out what classes I needed to graduate high school or the resources out in the community. And so it's really important for me to pay it forward because you can make a difference in someone's life by giving them resources, access to knowledge or to people. Right. A lot of people a lot of Latinas are like, I want to be a doctor. How, what do I have to do? So then I'm able to connect them with people who are in that field or practicing Mm -hmm. law or, or giving them resources to other leadership institutions, Mm
0: -hmm. which, you know, (laughs) as we were talking about us being more knowledgeable and having more education, we also have more access to people. And like, like we just um, shared, Like a lot of times when my siblings or my parents find themselves like stuck or need like legal advice, like I may not be a lawyer, like you said, but we can, we have people who know people uh, and then we can refer them to repeatable sources or repeatable people who can provide them that assistance. So like, that's like when people said it opens doors, it opens doors not only for me, but for my family or for my friends, you know, like um, every like phase that we go through and every like, like work experience that we have, we meet more people that can support us in that journey or as we continue, you know, moving forward.
1: Um, yeah. Did you have any um, information about, like, if someone wanted to do or was interested in going into the healthcare um, field, is there any organizations, resources, or guidance that you could provide if someone wanted to start, you know,
2: Actually, Patty, you just probably gave me an idea. <laughs> um, I usually get connected through Ten Thousand Degrees, a nonprofit organization here in Marin County. When someone has a question about healthcare or a career in healthcare, that's how they get connected to me. Uh, I don't know if there's any formal like organization where you can. Um, Contact a doctor that's mentoring people in the community. I'm sure there is in different areas, but I don't, I don't know of any uh, right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give our listeners when life gets hard or doesn't go, our, um, go their way? Um,
2: and if you, re- mm-hmm. if you really want something, you don't give up don't give up because you know, the struggle is is never over, right? (laughs) The struggle is never over. And there's always going to be barriers, but you have to be person, persistent in your career, in your dreams in your aspirations. uh, Because you don't know who you're going to inspire, you don't know what's out there, right, the way you're going to grow and be challenged. Um, Obviously, in order to get out of your comfort zone, you have to grow. And I know that I've been talking about getting an MBA for the past two or three years. And I tell myself, wow, I should have been done with my MBA. Like I should have earned my MBA by now, but it is what it is. Life gets in the way. You know, my dad had a heart attack. I had to help my family. Uh, there were other family issues. And and there was other opportunities to grow in my uh, current organization. And I did a few fellowships. So, so todo a su tiempo, right? Uh, but it's just not giving up. And uh, recently I read a quote a few days ago where it says it's not about, yes, you might be starting over, but the second time around is you start, you're start. you starting over with experience. So going back to that GRE test, it's now I know what to expect. As the first time around, I, was, it, I just took it cold turkey. And so now I'm taking the necessary steps to make sure I'm successful this time around.
1: And also knowing that, you know, it's, I hope that most of our listeners by now and all the guests that we've talked to, um, no es fácil en cualquier, you know, journey that we all take, you know, every single journey that we take will have its challenges and it's, and it doesn't come like, así nada más, you know, like it's, every single person will experience different, you know, hardships throughout time, like life keeps going once you keep, you know, when you're pursuing graduate school or, you know, higher ed or, any you know further like if you're trying to further your education um life is still happening and things come up you know and sometimes that graduate degree isn't aligned with your own personal time and and that's okay you know like it's mm-hmm. take it as you go and and is whenever and if anyone is listening thinking about going back to school or whatever you know Mm -hmm. degree you're trying to pursue it's making sure that you're uh, you know it's the right time for you and it's the right time for that commitment that you're that you're going to commit to you know that in that time and the energy and the money and everything else um Mm -hmm. because everything else also like has to once you pursue that second thing is like Damien is telling your family your close friends whoever's around you hey by the way you're gonna you're gonna be taking this big big commitment that's going to take a lot of time. And you won't be as present.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even thinking about me and my break, I said I was going to take a one year break after I graduated with my BA from Sonoma State. And then three years went by, and then eventually (laughs) six years went by. And, you know, it did take a couple, I think, I mean, it did take time, like what you're saying, Magali, about getting to that point of applying yourself to actually doing the work to then being considered for this process, right? So, you know, it did take um, a few years. And at this point, like looking back, I'm like, yeah, it was very green. Like I didn't realize it at at that time that, you know, it like a lot of things had to take place for me to be in a better position, to be um, pursuing my master's. And now like, again, trying again, to revamp my statement of purpose. And like you said, it's not starting from scratch. It's, you know, it's starting and enhancing
1: what you already have. Yeah. Definitely and, also, and, and also for me, it's like learning that now that I'm going to be close to finishing my master's degree is like allowing myself to have that time to be like, I don't have to pursue my doctorate degree right away. Mm-hmm. Like I can actually give myself time to feel that I can pursue other things while, like, I gain some work experience, I give myself a break to be reconnected with some family, reconnected with other passions that higher ed took over.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, and then not only that, right, but the, there's the culture barriers, right? I just uh-huh. turned 30 um, a few months ago and my families are like, te vas a casar? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why don't you start thinking about that? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm trying to go back to school. And they're like, well, you don't need to go. You know, my grandpas are like, you don't need to go back to school. You already have a good job, right? You know, you, you need to hurry up and get married. And I'm like, what? you know, so the, so there's also that pressure. You're like, wow, <laughs> like this is real, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and you also know. understanding that like i think for me it's like learning that if you have like a personal relationship with someone like with my boyfriend and i like it's you can have both you know it's going to be difficult being like involved with someone where you're pursuing something like this um and also for them to understand like it, it takes the right amount of friendships the right amount of relationships the right amount of everyone to like help you like when you know there's those cultural barriers where you're just like everyone's timeline or pressure that you that they're giving you doesn't align it's like you whoever's in your inner circle understands that the timeline for you may be different because there's so many you know cada quien has their own you know perception wants to you know project these these things onto you of what is the right time but ultimately you are the only one who knows the best um they so. may be encouraging because a veces you know like you may have the wish and the wants but you know just hearing someone be like "aslo," you know lo puedes mm-hmm. is, is something different but they shouldn't push you to the point where it's like you have to pick one or the other it's like you pick whatever you want in your commitment because so many people get pushed to one thing or another and then live a miserable life mm-hmm. because they're doing what everybody else wants them to. And it's, it's realizing for me, it's like, sure, a ton of people. Cause I have the other, you know, side where I've been so involved in academics for s- such an early age that I haven't done anything else, you know, like where I've explored other things and, and wanted to have just some breathing room you know to just exist and not have to put all these pressures up I mean my in my check-in I described like five billion things that I was doing and I'm like I ya no quiero hacer eso like I want to do something else and and being able to have my academic world my the people that I'm involved in my academics like understand that that's what I need and then my other family, like, understand, like, well, I mean, they they are confused still of, like, what exactly am I doing? Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll ever get to the point where they'll fully understand what that looks like. Um, they might have a perception, their own perception of social media, what that looks like from my friends. But yeah. uh, ultimately, it's you being okay with every single decision that you end up deciding, you know? And if anything, like, people not, automatically giving you unsolicited advice because that's just it's not helpful and it's not really listening to that individual agree agree what did you
2: tell them um i told them that this was important to me right and that todo lleva su tiempo (laughs) and they just (laughs) laughed they're like, okay, you know, but, uh, but my parents are very supportive, right? It's my, my other side of the family, que dicen, apúrate, apúrate. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm very lucky that my parents, yeah. I didn't grow up with that, hearing that every day or whatever, but it's all good.
1: <laughs> and it's really interesting because cuando vas a esos like, convivios with like family, and then most of the time they're complaining about the things that they're involved in or they have like they're complaining about their own children they're complaining about their own spouses like i'm like why are you pushing me to something that you 95 percent of the time are complaining about
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and so and and that speaks to everyone right like anyone who's like telling you to do one thing or another simply there's like a complaint um to think about what exactly is that you want to do and so i'm like if more people were to listen, to in tune themselves, and to exact, like, being really real with themselves of what they want in their life, we would have way more happy people. And people that are, like, they're going to stay in their lane and not be so worried about what everybody else is doing. Yeah. I've I i I've also experienced
0: this, and I've shared this with uh, Magali before, about the time that I told my... um that The time that I told my dad I was applying for grad school and I was giving him the good news that I actually it was around the same time I was applying for jobs and I was getting an interview at Cornell university and I was super excited. And I called my mom to tell her the good news that they were flying me out. And my daddy answered. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, yeah, that's good. You know, that's good that you're doing that, but you need to start thinking about leaving Retoños And I'm like, whoa like let's, press on the brakes. um, (laughs) And it was over the phone. So I couldn't see him. But I'm like, Okay, let me tell you right now that I'm not having kids. Uh, This is what I'm doing. This is part of my future. I am thinking about and that's why I'm applying for PhD programs. And that's why I'm applying for this job. Like, you know, like, this is what I want. And so um, so I don't know, there was a long pause, and I never found out what happened. But (laughs) 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 but he heard me, he heard me and I'm like, you know, my sister can, you know, my sister can give you grandkids, like, this is what I want to do for myself at this point. Um, and I also, you know, value, the not that I don't value my parents' opinion, but it was something that I needed to clarify with them, because in that way, they know where I stand. Um, but I did, you know, talk to my grandmothers when they came to visit, I like, I appreciate them. And I appreciate um, their opinion and their life advice, because they did, you know, there are my elders and they had, you know, that lifestyle of being a, a stay at home mom and had all these children and like take took care of everyone, their husbands, cooked and cleaned and did all those things, traditional things that our culture expected in Mexican culture. And they told me, yeah, like it was interesting to see that the contrast that they supported me to do to focus on my education, to focus on my goals. And it was just like I didn't need to explain it uh, so much that they they were just like, yeah, you go ahead and do that. And I'm like, okay, that's all the approval I need, and that's what I'm gonna focus on.
1: And it's different because as their as their grand like when they're when grandparents have a different relation with their grandchild, it's um, it's like also parents feeling that they are entitled to their own children's like life, and having to project you know like those los sueños frustrados of like what -hmm. they have and what they wish and it's more of that understanding that parents yes you're their parent or you're you're the parent of that that child or that those children but I'm like it 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 doesn't go to that point where you have to like that child needs to live that your own life that you wish you had Mm -hmm. and more so like everyone just um believe when that person tells you like that you, you want to pursue one thing or another, right, and yeah. si ocupa una ayuda or advice, then hopefully there's that kind of relationship where you can do so, but other than that, it's like people just need to believe, and mostly women of color, that like here's the things that we want to pursue, mm-hmm. and whatever it is, hopefully there's more support, and they may just never understand, because again, we're, we're one of the very few Latina women of color that end up doing things like this mm-hmm. uh, living these these fields these careers that are not too known um, within our communities mm-hmm.
0: yeah so moving on to the um, next question for Magali about who are some of your role models and or what is your model in life
2: um, so my role models uh, I want to start by saying that my parents, you know, my dad the whole pueblo a los 14 años. Se fue a la ciudad de México. He was there for a few years, and at 16, he came to the U.S. and he worked two jobs, uh, married my mother, uh, lived in Mexico for a while, came back. But they were persistent in their dreams, right? Um, and when you think about a 14-year-old, I'm like, that's still a child. That's learning how to adapt to life like and at 14 he was already thinking like an adult and had to make decisions as an adult so to me that just shows that he was a lot of he was mature right and he had to be mature for different reasons Mm -hmm. Um, another my mother you know my mother didn't like school but She used her hands to do a lot of things, textiles. Uh, She sold things growing up. She le gustó la vida del campo. And when she came to the US, you know, she raised my brothers and I. Um, And then when we were growing older, she became a housekeeper. Uh, So they they both worked really, really hard. And in some ways, sometimes you feel like, wow, like if you had the same opportunities as I did, what, que hubieras hecho? You know, mm. and they, they've done a lot. Like for me, they've been very successful, right? Raising three kids and making sure that we have a head over a roof over our heads, clothes, food, basic necessities. Mm-hmm. Um, but my other role model is Maureen Sedonin. Uh, Maureen, I met Maureen when she was when I was 14 years old. She was a founder and the CEO of the Youth Leadership Institute, the organization that invested in me and the organization. Organization that taught me that young people can make uh, can make decisions at the table um, through different means. Um, and currently Maureen is the C- CEO of the Habitat C- Habitat of Humanity for Greater San Francisco. So she's making sure that people in the Bay Area are able to stay here by building affordable housing. So I think that she works with unique people uh, and she's always a champion of underserved communities and she, yeah, she's someone that I really admire and I aspire to be a Maureen someday. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also my former boss, uh, Celia Lenson, um, when you're, you know, when you don't have people who look like you and leadership, but you have someone that's pushing you and teaching you tough things and getting you out of your comfort zone, but also being like, Hey, I believe in you. Um, That's also kind of uh, someone that I look up to because she had her own challenges in leadership and was very innovative in her career and created different things. So when you give her a problem, you know, it's going to get cleaned up. You know, things are going to get done. And uh, I like people who shake up things, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, those are some of my role models in my life. And uh, I admire them each for different qualities that they have.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. And now, um, moving into our POC business shout out. Um, Our POC business shout out for this episode goes to uh, Kowatsun Maid, which was created by a descendant of the Kowchun tribe of Vancouver, uh, Canada, um, Ariana Johnny-Watsworth. Kowatsun Maid is an, an apothecary and lifestyle brand that sells fragrances, salves, soaps, candles, masks, uh, tattoo aftercare kits and balms. So, we will post the website and Instagram account in this episode description so you can all check them out.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, Magali, for being with us today. Uh, it was a really great pleasure to reconnect and review all of the wonderful things that you've done. And I look forward to possibly having you in the future once you get admitted to the MBA program so you can tell <laughs>
1: us all about that
0: and um, any learning experiences that you would like
2: to share and
0: do you have any last words for,
2: for us no thank you for doing this I think it's so important to share our stories because you don't know who's going to get inspired by one of your listeners or by you guys you guys are are fearless leaders in your own field so thank you again for having me thank you and it was so nice meeting you thank you so for all of our listeners
0: you can email us at chicana at gmail.com and send us your poc business conference and event shout outs and listener letters you could also record a listener message on our anchor app and that way we can include your recording uh, in our future episode and follow us on instagram at chicana code chicanas with an x and on Twitter at xcode switchers, uh, if you want to support this podcast, you can Venmo, Cash App us at, at Chicana Code Switchers, and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you again for tuning into this week's episode, and until next time, thank you. Bye. Bye.